The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as kalesas or defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as kalesas or defilements that we suffer. So what the Buddha is saying here is that whatever distress or stress or challenge you have felt today that has been an obstacle to your practice or a hindrance or just a torment to your mind, it has arisen as a visiting force in the mind. And it has caused that suffering. If it's a visiting force, that means that, well, it has arisen due to causes and conditions that we maybe didn't recognize. Maybe we didn't even recognize the, the, the tormenting state of mind itself. But clearly, if it is a visitor to the mind, it doesn't reside there permanently. And so it's incumbent on us in this practice, and in fact the whole path of practice is to learn to recognize these visitors to the mind, how we suffer, how we are tormented or hindered in living our, the full human life that we uh, have the potential to, and to, to begin to work with them in a way that they visit less often and they don't stay as long when they do visit. That's a good way to put it. Because Sidar Utejaniya understands the, the defilements this way. He says, it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. So he clearly states that it's not up to us, our intention and our effort and our, you know, just muscular mental muscles to push it out, but rather when we understand the nature of these forces in the mind, that wisdom, that, that deeply personal understanding of them is what removes these defilements from our mind and therefore we stop suffering. Okay. So, if that's the nature of the path and that's the practice that we're engaged on, what are these torments? What are these kalesas? How, do, how are we going to get a handle on them? Because I can say with 100% confidence that all of you have felt tormented at some point today. <laughs> if not, a lot of torment, a lot of the day. Maybe the most obvious way to speak of them is to say that they are the habitual reactive tendencies of the mind. The deeply conditioned habits we have, impulsive reactions to pleasant and unpleasant stimuli from any of the sense door, at any of the sense doors. And for the most part, they are so automatic and so deeply conditioned that we don't think we have a choice. They just arise in the mind, boom, we're irritated, boom, we're impatient, boom, we're caught up in some fear or anxiety or panic or whatever it is, whatever our, you know, um, well, they're so ubiquitous and they're so frequent and we've seen them so much, we just take them to be who we are. We've almost just kind of accepted, well, that's who I am. That's how it is for me. usually we're unaware of how or why they arise and only when they have grabbed our mind, taken over our mind, and we're caught in obsessive thinking do we then realize, oh, I'm suffering, I'm really, I'm upset, I'm upset, I'm in an emotional state, I'm, I'm having a meltdown, I'm feeling <laughs> overwhelmed, whatever, however you experience these, these defilements. But the first way to begin to understand them is that they are always fueled by restlessness. And restlessness is, in this instance, 
the thinking mind. They're always fueled by this just kind of random churning, chewing in the mind, chewing on a topic. You know, you get some memory comes up or some plan comes up or some incident from the day and the mind just goes, just kind of thinking and ruminating. It's restless. The mind is just chewing on something. And before you know it, we're in a hole. We're in a dark space. We're just kind of stuck in some irritation, some uh, impatient, some suffering place. Not only are they fueled by this aimless activity of mind, this restless, restless thinking, but they're always accompanied by ignorance or delusion. Always. Now what that means is when they are accompanied by ignorance or delusion, there's two kinds. One kind is, we'll call it ignorance, where you don't know what is going on. Now we've all experienced that today. Remember when you're trying to be mindful, the mind wanders off into a train of thought and it's gone on some journey for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, it just goes, right? It goes. Later, that train stops at a station and we get off. And we say, wow, what a ride. And we look back and we see where we've been. And sometimes, just without even looking back, you just get, an, you get a glimpse of where the mind, what the mind has been thinking about. But while the mind was thinking about it, you didn't know it. You didn't know you were thinking. You didn't know what you were thinking about. You didn't know whether you liked what you were thinking about. You didn't know you were a yogi in a retreat in Massachusetts. You didn't know your name. You didn't know your gender. You didn't know anything. Right? Totally ignorant. Ignorant. Now, when that's going on, even though we are not aware of it, those thoughts are having a deeply conditioning effect on the mind. And if we don't see them, we will act out those thoughts. We'll act them out. Even though we know nothing about them. We don't don't see them. We don't know them. It's not always that bad. (laughs) Sometimes we're just deluded. You know, we're not completely ignorant. We know what's going on. We're clear. We know what's going on. We see what's happening, but we don't understand it correctly. It happens when aversion arises in the mind. Aversion arises in the mind, and whatever you look at, whatever you see, or whatever you hear, whatever you feel, all you notice is the unpleasant aspect of it. That is the nature of aversion in the mind. It causes the mind to see and to feel only the unpleasant aspect of something. When desire or attachment arises in the mind, its conditioning agency, or its its skill is to cause you to see only the pleasant aspect of what it is you're looking at or experiencing. The thing itself, let's take a person. You see someone, the first day of the retreat, and you look at them and say, wow, hmm, wow, Um, maybe I can have a conversation at the end of the retreat. You know, and there's desire in the mind, and all you can think of is the possibilities of what can come later. And it always looks good, but you know, three days into the retreat, aversion enters your mind. Where'd that come from? You look at the same person, and you go, oh, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> you know, same person, still don't know anything about them, but the mind. All you see in the first case is the pleasant possibilities. In the second, all you can see is the foolishness of that. And it happens, and we don't know it. When, when our mind is inflamed with aversion, and we start seeing the unpleasant characteristics or the unpleasant aspect of something, we believe our thoughts. We believe that it really is that bad. And when desire or attachment is there, and we start having all these pleasant, attractive, attachment thoughts, 
We also believe those thoughts. We are totally seduced by our thoughts until we see them. Until we see this restless activity of the mind as just thinking and recognize these are just thoughts. They're really not my thoughts. They're the thoughts of the defilements. So these, 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 these obstructive, hindering, defiled, tormenting states of mind always uh, kind of rooted in uh, ignorance, fueled by restlessness, and sometimes attached with or, or accompanied by desire or aversion. And again, as I said, they're so habitual and we've seen them so often, or we haven't seen them so often, let's say, that we just assume and take it for granted that that's who I am. Not only do I experience, let's say, impatience. I mean, we all experience impatience. But if you experience it as frequently as I do, you not only experience impatience now and then, we can begin to think, I'm always impatient. And not only that, I become an impatient person. Now, once you've solidified this idea in your mind, I'm an impatient person or I'm a, I'm a greedy person. Or I'm, most people don't like to think that way, but sometimes I'm an angry person. I'm really angry. I get, I get, once we get that solid identification of that's how I am, who I am, then we stop looking at it as an option. And we just take it for granted, that's who I am. It makes it really hard to even think that we can actually confront that habit of mind, confront that identity, and start disassembling it, disaggregating it, taking it apart, so that, in fact, it does just become a visitor to the mind that arises occasionally. And we really understand it that way. So we get identified with them, and in that identification, they really obstruct and hinder not only our practice to awaken, but our life. Have you noticed how much of your life is controlled by fear? Afraid to change, afraid to say something, afraid to do something, afraid to take a risk, whether it's an emotional risk, a personal risk, a financial risk, a career risk, a relationship risk, and we just don't do it. We just cut our life short. We cut the possibilities that are available to us. We cut it short because we're obstructed, we're hindered, we're blocked, we're limited by our identification with these hindering, obstructive states of mind. And we take them to be who we are. We really feel or doubt. Doubt is paralyzing. You know, should I, shouldn't I? Should I make this decision or not? Should I go here? Should I go there? When we're caught in doubt and we don't see it as just a visitor to the mind, our life is on hold. It's just on hold. And it's suffering. It's torment. You know, you know what it's like to be in having to make a decision and being kind of paralyzed by the choices not recognizing that, oh, this is just a state of mind that has arisen. And in time, it won't be there. And in time, you will make the decision. When you, when you begin to look at these states of mind that visit and just see how much, how much they torment us, how much they proscribe the possibilities in life, then you can see that, wow, we really, with that understanding, we really would want to begin to look at them, really look at how they're kind of interfering with our life, rather than assuming that this is the way life is and has to be. That, that's not the way life is and has to be. It is for you, to the extent that we have not yet seen these habits of mind, deeply conditioned habits of mind, being identified with these visitors when they arise. So when fear arises in the mind, we don't say, oh, fear has arisen, conditioning my 
uh, view of this situation. Instead we say, I'm afraid. And as soon as we're, I'm afraid, we don't work with it. We We don't see any possibility of working with it. Other than just trying to override it with courage or energy or... And sometimes that's what we have to do, but... Nevertheless, there's another way of working with them, and that is to understand their nature. If we can observe them and understand their nature, we can see that they've arisen, recognize their effect on our mind and process, and acknowledge that and work with it. Even though these torments, tormented states of mind, arise, they're not accidental. They too are part of the Dhamma, the way things have come to be. And they have arisen due to causes and conditions. And when those causes and conditions are no longer there, that visitor leaves the mind. So this gives us an opportunity to work with them. We can, just understanding that the visitors that arrive, that arise due to causes and conditions, we can begin to work with the causes, work with the conditions, work with the understanding that they're just visiting. Therefore, rather than an obstacle to our practice or an impenetrable obstacle to our progress in life, our process in life, they're really an opportunity. We can use them to challenge our own sense of ourself and use them to fuel our practice. And with practice, of course, they will cease to be the obstacle that they have have been when they're unconscious. So the Buddha said it's because of these visitors that we suffer. Now, I don't have to list for you all the forms of suffering that you've experienced today. Frustration, disappointment, self-judgment, irritation, anger, you know, desire, aversion of all sorts, depression, despair, hopelessness, vulnerability. That's just the first layer. It is as if these torments, when they arise, or these visitors, when they arise, they cast a spell over the mind. They enchant the mind. They, they, they... They enchant the mind with their possibilities or with their terror or with their, uh, their story, the story of my life. You know, they, they're the ones who tell you the story of your life. Oh, poor me, I can't do this because blah, 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 blah. And when they do, when they enchant the mind, it is as if we enter a long-running hallucination. We're just making up a story about ourselves under the influence of this drug, you know, this visitor to the mind. But mindful awareness is like a searchlight casting for faults in the clouds of delusion. So this is the way we begin to work with it. We begin to work with mindful awareness, viewing, looking at these very deluded thoughts, feelings, moods. When the Buddha recognized or realized the truth and articulated it in the Four Noble Truths, the Fourth Noble Truth is the path to be developed by each one of us to essentially overcome these torments and to free the mind. The Eightfold Path is essentially three trainings. The first training is the purifying of the speech and behavior. Now when I say purifying speech and behavior, I mean purifying our intention before speaking and before acting, purifying our intention of these defilements, these states of mind. The action that follows when the mind is free of those, of any of these visitors, will be wholesome, will be skillful. But until we actually practice and begin to look at our mind, 
we're not going to know what the motivation is or what our intention is in speaking and acting because we're under so often under the influence of some, one, or many of these visitors. And so even to begin to practice the sila or the precepts as we're doing here, which is the purification of speech and, and behavior, even to do that you have to have some ongoing mindful awareness of your mind. You have to know where, where are you coming from? What's the intention? What's the motivation? What's the state of mind that you're about to speak from? Do you know how hard that is? <laughs> that's, that's like impossible, almost. It takes, it takes a lot of restraint. It takes a lot of intention. It takes a lot of resolve to watch your mind before speaking. And it's helpful to have a roll of Dharma duct tape handy. <laughs> because we need it a lot. And sometimes just counting to ten isn't enough. You know, you really need to kind of slap it on there and <laughs> save yourself the trouble that's sure to come if you speak and act that carelessly. Okay. The second of the trainings, well, even if we could do that, speak and act with uh, wholesome intention without being visited by these, of course, the mind could still be obsessing about what it wants to say or what it wants to do, even though you're not acting it out. And the Buddha recognized that, well, we need another more powerful and yet a subtler practice to get a handle on these obsessive torments. The first is the transgressive torments that kind of act out against others, causing them harm, saying and doing things that hurt others. But sometimes we're not hurting others, we're just kind of tormenting ourselves. And this is where a lot of practice takes place. We're not acting out in a very careless way, but we're seeing the mind that wants to act out. And it just torments us. It's just obsessive with, I should have said this, I want to say that, no, don't, yes, I want to, no, yes, no, yeah. And this is the place in practice where we have just enough awareness to see what's going on, but not enough wisdom to let go. It's torture. It's just torture. And yet, exercising that much restraint through mindful awareness of the mind, just being aware, every time you're angry, every time you're irritated, every time you're frustrated, disappointed, jealous, envious, you know, impatient, Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. Observe, 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 observe. Rather than act out. And in time, we can learn to catch these states of mind. We can learn to uh, catch them quicker so that we're not so obsessed and just put them to rest. Knowing that they're just at rest. They're just outside the door waiting to knock and be let in again. And so the Buddha realized that, well, even if we can exercise pretty continuous mindful awareness and hold these visitors at the door so they don't get in, sometimes we just get preoccupied, we get distracted, we get caught up in something and they slip in. So we said, well, we need another practice. We need a subtler practice that's more powerful than mindfulness. And that is insight, the development of insight. Because if we understand these torments, we understand the nature of these states of mind, then it's that understanding that frees us from their arising. It's not just exercising restraint with the tape. It's not just exercising mindful vigilance, observing them. It's understanding them so that, they ne so that our mind never resorts to them. Do you think it's even possible to train your mind not to resort to these states of mind? It's hard to believe that it could be possible. That maybe, maybe we could so train the mind, not just in mindfulness, but in insight, in see their nature, 
that anger, impatience, jealousy, fear, never arise in the mind. That's the path the Buddha taught. He said, it's possible. We're here to find out. So, how do we do that? The first is, the first step, is we need to hear about these torments. We need to hear about them because we've lived with them, we take them for granted, we don't even see them anymore. So I'm talking about it tonight, identifying many of them for you, so that you can begin to to, to recognize them in your experience. And even though we hear the word desire, fear, jealousy, envy, impatience, whatever, anxiety, whatever it is that you suffer with, we hear these words, we often don't know what they are like as an experience. And so we can be experiencing them and not even know what they are. So the first task, and it's, 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 it's quite, a, quite a steep hurdle actually, quite a high hurdle, is to just begin to recognize them in your own experience. So whenever you are uncomfortably struggling with your practice or just really not happy with what's going on in your mind, you can be sure that the mind is being visited by one of these you know, tormenting visitors. So at that point, the practice is turn around rather than what you're desiring out there, paying attention to that, or what you're averse to out there and paying attention to that. Turn around and look at the mind that's desiring. Look at the mind that is averse. Look at the mind that is jealous rather than the person you're jealous of or the person you're angry at. The practice is to turn around and see your own mind because that's where the suffering is. The suffering is not out there. You can't make that person, you can't change all the conditions that are going to cause these states of mind to arise in your mind. You can't, you can't make the world in your own, and, and, and how would you anyway? Make the world in your own image, so to speak. Just perfect, so that it was really just what you wanted. I mean, you might want it that way today, but you'd want it something out some other way tomorrow. So give up that. Do what you can, of course, but learn how to turn around and look at your mind. Because once we recognize it, then we can begin to work with it. But until we recognize it, they have us. They're in the, they've moved in and they've you know, taken, up, taken up space. The second step in working with any of them, once identified, once you recognize them, is relax. Don't just get fretful about it. Don't just get reactive to it. You know, get angry because you're angry. Get impatient because you're impatient. You know, because that's just being you know reactive again. You know, doubling down. Uh, instead, we want to just say, "Wait a minute. Let me just relax and just acknowledge and actually accept. Just accept the fact this is the way things have come to be. Right now." Due to causes and conditions outside of my immediate control, impatience has arisen in the mind, or fear has arisen in the mind, or jealousy, or depression, or whatever your thing is. Okay, so when you relax, there's really a relaxing of the mind's reaction to that state of mind. And in that, there is an accepting of the fact that it has arisen, not an accepting of it as like, okay, Right, impatience here, I'm an impatient person. That's not what I mean by acceptance. I mean just an acknowledgement, an honest acknowledgement, oh, this is, this is the way things have come to be. Impatience has arisen. As Utejaniya says, the mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. What arises in the mind can be anything at any time for anyone. Think of that. Anybody's mind can go anywhere at any time. Wow. Okay. That's what he means when he says, the mind is not yours. 
But when your mind goes there, then you're responsible to take care of it. Or when that arises in the mind, or when your mind takes up that, that, that thought, that restless thought about yourself or about others or whatever, then you're responsible for it. Because if you're not responsible for it, or if you just carelessly blow it off, it will cause you to suffer, <laughs> as we know. Okay, that's, that's the cue. That, okay, they've arisen, it has arisen, now I gotta deal with it. We're responsible for it. And if we don't take responsibility for it, we'll suffer. So it's important to remember at that point, we've recognized this tormented state of mind, we've relaxed and just said, okay, okay, this is it, it's here, I gotta do something about it. Then to remember, it has arisen due to causes and conditions, it's not who I really am. With that, we can begin to exercise some restraint. This is the third step. Exercising restraints means don't act it out. Sometimes when we get angry, we just want to act it out and get rid of the anger. We get impatient and so we just lay it, lay a trip on somebody else to hurry up. Or desire. Desire arises and we, we, we will move to satisfy that desire because we think that's the, that I have to. You know, what, are you, what else are you going to do with desire if you don't satisfy it? If we act out these states of mind without awareness, we only strengthen them. Every one of them. If we act them out without awareness, they grow stronger. There are some schools of thought that recommend expressing your anger. Well, you can try that. See if that's the way to the end of anger. See if that weakens the grip of anger in your mind. Try to recognize the defilements, that defilements are simply defilements. They're not your defilement, Sadotajaniya says. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you're only increasing their strength. The wandering mind is not the problem. Your attitude that it should not be wandering, that's the problem. The object is not really important, but how you observe or view it is. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good experience rather than being willing and trying to work with the defilements. Got a question for you. You know, several months ago, you decided you'd go on a retreat. You looked around, you found the schedule, you called up IMS, they said, yes, here it is, you're in. Okay, so now you've got a couple of months to anticipate you're coming on retreat. Oh boy, I'm going on retreat. Wow, a time to kind of like chill out, kind of quiet, Go soft, have some good meals, just kind of bliss out for a while, just kind of like hang out, de-stress, you know, kind of like, wow, I can hardly wait, you know? <laughs> Going on retreats, great, isn't it? That's what we think. We would be better off, Sayadaw says, if we thought, I'm going on retreat, I can expect nine days of torment. <laughs> and I'm willing to work with all these torments for the full nine days. Right? How many of us came with that hope <laughs> or expectation? <laughs> no, we, we don't. We, 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 we delude ourselves into getting here. It's good if it works to get you here. I mean, <laughs> we can, we can, you know, the desire is really powerful. You know, when you desire to do a retreat, you can be sure you're only seeing the pleasant aspects of the retreat. Okay. So now we've, we've recognized the torment, we've exercised some, we've, re we've relaxed and just accepted it. We've exercised some restraint, we're not acting it out. And the fourth step for working with them is to reframe, or remember to reframe your understanding. This state of mind is just a visitor. It's not who you are, it's not permanent, nobody foisted it off on you. It is something that can be known through mindful awareness, and it is something that can be understood through wisdom. That's how we need to reframe it.
rather than just kind of succumbing to an oh poor me self-pity I'm upset and I just got to wait till it kind of blows off somehow I got to go for a walk I got to do something I got to distract myself until it's over you can do that for a long time you can do that for lifetimes hoping that it just go away it'll go away it'll be back so reframing our understanding brings the possibility of change a changed relationship to these states of mind makes it possible we remind ourselves that we can work with them with awareness and with insight and understanding so now that we've open to relax reframe not acting it out and we're in the full-blown tormented state of mind the mind is just ranting on rambling on just kind of oh poor me I'm suffering because <laughs> you know the restless mind is just going on they said this I should have said that my mother shouldn't have, my mother did this my father didn't do that blah 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 my lover this my lover that uh, my cat my dog the kids <laughs> you know everything my body my mind my t- it's like That's the nature of these tormented states. So with awareness, we want to turn and look at what is actually going on. Most of the time, we're, uh, we're focused on the object, the object of desire, the object of our aversion, that which has caused the aversion, our jealousy, our fear. We're, most of the time, we pay attention out there. But practice is to pay attention in here. Okay, so what is going on in here? that you can observe directly. First, you can, you, you can hear the story of your torment. Oh, poor me, blah, 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 blah. And you can, you can get it. And, and the, the story just goes on and on and on and on and on, around and around and around and around. It just doesn't stop. You know the story of your suffering. But that state of mind also conditions very strong powerful sensations in the body when you get angry the body gets tight and clenched and hot and you know painful in some cases or when it gets jealous there's other feelings or when it gets afraid there's this knot in the stomach or when you're when you have experienced loss and you're grieving you've got this empty cavity in the chest and you other times you got you're clenching your fist you're clenching your teeth it's those sensations can also be tracked you can be observant of kind of do a three-dimensional map of all the sensations in the body. And you can do a kind of a cognitive review of all the thoughts that are going on. The memories, the plans, the intentions, the revenge, the the hope, everything that's accompanied with that story. You can see all that. You can see all the story, you can see all the sensations, and there's one other thing to notice. The feeling in the heart. Not the story, not the physical sensations, it's the mental feeling of the heart. That's what's suffering. The sensations, they're unpleasant. The story, that's also unpleasant. But the suffering is in the heart. When these states of mind arise, the heart suffers. That's what we want to get in touch with. We really want to get in touch with this feeling in the heart and how painful it is. I mean, it's not the physical heart. It's somewhere in, inside of us. But you know the pain of loss? You know the pain of loneliness? You know the pain of uh, being alienated from others? It's not in the body. It's not, it's not in your hands. It's not in your head. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. That pain really hurts. but we can feel it. We can feel it with full awareness. And when we do, when we contact that and feel it with full awareness, knowing this is really painful. We know we don't like it. That's more aversion. We know we'd like to get rid of it. More aversion. But we remind ourselves, this is a visitor to the mind. It's a visitor. It's painful. 
and we're, we're observing it with our mindful awareness. And something really special happens. As we observe it, as we feel it, we begin to understand it. We begin to see how it works, how it has arisen, what it feels like. And we begin to see that it's kind of, it's a dynamic thing. It's not always right there in full force. It comes, it goes, it's stronger, it's weaker. You know, sometimes we're a little more tolerant of it. Sometimes it's just pulling our hair. Sometimes it's got us, sometimes we got it. It's there, but you have a relationship with it. You have a relationship with it. And you're just, being, you're just observing it. Watch out that you don't just try to get rid of it. Watch out that you don't just explain it away. Watch out that you don't just kind of, uh, kind of identify with it. This is who I really am. I'm always going to be this way. And if you can, if you can endure, if you can, if you can bear it with awareness, you will, you will realize something vitally important. First of all, it causes suffering. Pretty obvious. This is painful. But we have to be willing to say, this is really suffering. And accept it. And accept, this is the way it is. And the second thing we find out, the second thing we realize is, it doesn't last very long. It lasts longer than we want it to, in every instance. But actually, it doesn't last that long. If you can bear it, with acceptance, you'll see. It comes, it goes, it waxes, it wanes, and at some point, it's not there. This is really, really important. To, to be able to endure and bear with this kind of pain until you see, until you realize for yourself, it doesn't last. Because that tells your mind that you don't have to fix it. You don't have to get rid of it. You don't have to beat it up. You don't have to judge yourself for it. You just have to outlast it. And if you outlast it, you learn the nature of these states of mind. It is this understanding that frees the mind from these torments. We see that it causes suffering. We see that it is not, it's not permanent. It doesn't last forever. And we see that really it's not who we are. It's a visitor to the mind. It's not inherent within us. We're not that kind of person. We get visited by this kind of state of mind. But if we observe it, we will learn about it. And what we learn is liberating. It's freeing. It frees us from the grip of thinking, I'm an angry person. I'm an impatient person. Or whatever, whatever your particular thing is. These realizations that things don't last very long, it's not really who you are, they really do cause suffering. These three realizations are the three insights of Vipassana. That they're anicca, impermanent, that they're dukkha, suffering, and that they're anatta, they're not really who you are. These understandings, these three realizations are liberating. They're liberating in the moment that you see them, that you recognize them. And gradually over time, as you work are willing to work with these states of mind every time they arise, the mind begins to rely on this knowledge, these realizations. And this knowledge comes to support your efforts at being aware. Initially, it takes a lot of awareness to reach these wise realizations. But with repetition over and over again, every time they arise, try to, try to endure, the wisdom will grow, 
to where it is there as soon as the visitor arrives at the door. And we don't get we don't get we don't get caught. We don't get caught as often. When we do get caught, it's not for so long and it's not as intense. In this way, we gradually suffer less. Maybe this maybe the visitors still come. Maybe we still gotta deal with them, but much less suffering because we understand their nature. It is this understanding that will free us from suffering. Not distracting ourselves. You know, you get you get irritated by something, just go to the refrigerator. <laughs> hey, you get away from that irritation. But you don't learn anything. It'll be back. So in any any way you find yourself turning away from these suffering states of mind, you can be sure you're just a temporary relief. Which sometimes some, sometimes we have to do. Sometimes we just get the temporary relief because it's so overwhelming. We're just not, we just don't have the stamina. Okay, get the temporary relief. But when we have the resolve and when we have the map of practice, then do the best you can because understanding liberates. As long as you're aware of the defilements, Sayadotasiniya says, you're doing well. As long as you're aware of the defilements, you're doing well. In order to understand them, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of these torments, these defilements, they will dissolve. And once you're able to handle them, good experiences will naturally follow. Naturally follow. It's clear. It is possible to suffer less. But it takes this understanding, it takes this resolve, it takes this commitment, it takes this kind of practice. And that's what we're doing here. We've all seen plenty of suffering today. We've all seen tormented states of mind today. Okay, now are we ready to work with them? Are we really ready to say, you know what, I've been bullied by loneliness, I've been bullied by fear long enough. And we have, not just this lifetime, not just this retreat, not just this lifetime. Long time. They're really deeply conditioned habits of the mind. And yet now this, now we know this is the, this is the way to work with them. This is the way to begin to address them to work with them, to understand them, and ultimately to be free of them. It's nice when we come and have a good sitting. It's nice to have a good sitting where you just relax, it's soft, it's comfortable, it's pleasant, the heart just opens up, you feel loved and loving, it's great. It just doesn't last. <laughs> it just doesn't last. And pretty soon some visitor comes to the mind and says, yeah, I want that again. You know what that is? Desire. That's suffering. I want that again. That's, that's suffering. Got to work with that. This practice is an invitation to really grow in understanding and to uh, acknowledge the way things have come to be and understand that they can be worked with. But let's face it, it I wish it was otherwise. I wish I could tell you it's really easy. You know, <laughs> just drink this tea. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, it doesn't work. We can, distract it. we can distract ourselves endlessly, and we do, we have. We've distracted ourselves endlessly with all kinds of hopes, fantasies, imaginations, uh, denial, avoidance, minimization, anything, but they keep coming back, don't they? They keep coming back. It's up to each one of us to just say, you know what, I've had enough. I know their, I know their game and I'm gonna learn the rules and I'm gonna play to win because we can. 
the Buddha showed us the way. And for those of you who've practiced for any length of time, you know, you see, you can see that gradually you do get more familiar. Gradually, they don't come as often. Gradually, when they do come, they don't stay as long and they're not as intense. Gradually. Can't expect miracles. You, you know, we've been cultivating these bad habits for lifetimes. We're probably not going to uproot them in a nine-day retreat. But we're going to make some progress. We're going to make some progress. So look to see within yourself if you have the interest, if you have the resolve, if you have the uh, commitment, if you have the faith, the faith, the belief, the confidence to, to make the effort. Because all it takes is just being willing, just being willing to try. If you're willing to try, you'll see. You'll see the effect. You don't have to wait till the end of the retreat or even next lifetime. You can see the effect in a single sitting if you, if you bring these, this skillful knowledge to bear on the experience of these torments. Always remember, Sayadaw Tejaniya says, that it's not you who removes these tormented states of mind. Wisdom does the job. When you are continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally. That's the game. When you are continuously aware. When you're just aware, moment by moment, from the time you wake up till the time you go to sleep. You can't help but gain wisdom, gain understanding of what your experience is. And it's this understanding which will free you from the suffering of these tormented states of mind. So, let's sit for a little while. Let the words quiet down. Even though the mind is not yours, you're responsible for it. And as long as you're observing or working with the defilements, then you're doing well. Because remember, it's not you who removes these defilements. Wisdom or understanding does the job. So thank you for listening to the Dhamma. There's about uh, 35 minutes for... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.